Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your continued kindness to us, your patience with us and all the things we learn and how we pursue and what we discover, where we go, how we love. We'd ask that you would be continuing in your patience with us and your benevolence to us, that we might learn to be the kind of Christians that your son would be pleased to call his brothers and sisters. Thank you for this morning in your son's name. Amen. Okay, we're in, we're in Matthew 5, and that's Sermon on the Mount. And you can't throw a rock very far in the Sermon on the Mount and not come up with something to say. You've got countless things to say. It's one of those amazing bits of writing in antiquity. Matthew 5 through 7 of intense ethical brilliance. And again, for every paragraph there is a sermon and maybe multitudes of sermons. And many things have been preached over years. Pastors say, I'm going to spend the next five years going through the Sermon on the Mount. And they do it. And they don't ever run dry. Well, sometimes they might run dry. So when you look at this and you go, Evan, you went from Matthew 5.43 to 6.23. What are you thinking? All that richness just a low fly. This is a re- reference to pilots here. A low flyby. But sometimes, sometimes it is really good. Remember, Jesus is sitting on a hillside talking to a whole bunch of people and he's not giving them time to ask questions, take notes, you know, uh, uh, go into a study group afterwards and uh, have insightful questions. They just have to hear him and believe him. And one of the things that struck me, the reason Peter and uh, Gunn Black Kenny and I were talking last night about sermon prep and my lack of it. There seemed to be some suspicious some suspicions alive on that front. But one of the things I've told you before is that conversations I have been in during uh, weeks previous gear up the mind for certain passages. And there was a, a phrase in a C.S. Lewis essay during the C.S. Lewis readings where he speaks of insects, which he does not like, and says that they have uh, a, a, what was the phrase, a collective mindset about their activities, the anthill, the hive. And as he puts it, they have their reward. A little biblical reference out of the Sermon on the Mount, out of this chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, when it talks about people receiving their reward. It's kind of a slightly snarky, they get, what they, they, they get what they deserve. They get everything they deserve. They get everything they probably want. And so that was in the back of my mind. And someday, I don't remember who, maybe you're here this morning, had brought up the passage about, maybe it was Greg, I don't know, uh, how great is the darkness when your body is full of light, um, if your eye is dark, that's the end of the chapter. So these things were floating in my mind. And then I was just, my Bible was open, and it sort of, I don't want to claim any kind of spiritual league of my Bible, naturally open to the Sermon on the Mount. You know how that goes to the spot where you spend so much time. 
naturally. I'm not getting any credit, am I? There it was, the first verse of chapter 6. I said, what's right before it? It's that passage on love. And when, listen to this. End of chapter 5. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rains on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And already in our minds, we're trying to juggle definitions for the word love and definitions for the word perfect. How are we going to get around this passage? Dear God. Because he just said something that's amazing in history. And he wasn't the only one. It had been said in other situations. He draws incredible attention to it. I was reading a little bit of... uh, What's his name? Motsu, the uh, Chinese philosopher who is an advocate of universal love, and he had largely the same, 500 BC, largely the same argument as Christ has, which is God obviously loves everybody in the whole world because he accepts the sacrifices of everyone everywhere, and the good things of life happen to everyone everywhere. So obviously God loves everyone everywhere. Christ fills that in. Christ makes it concrete. God, Christ teaches it, you want to say successfully, Motsubi was a very unsuccessful, uh, he got, the censor has got a hold of Motsubi. But it's unusual, it's not the kind of thing we would think of. We were, if we were asked to write down a code of conduct for man, without any reference to Christianity, would this kind of love be on the list? Because really, What is it we actually do? We actually are spending all of our time trying to fake our way through this or just disagree with it in such a way we sound more religious for having disagreed. You know, really, do we know the definition for love? You know the definition for love. You know exactly what it is. You just don't want to give it to that person. He's your enemy. That's the difficulty. It's not that you don't know what love is. You just don't like loving loving enemies. You don't like loving someone who punched you in the face. Who spray-painted obscenities all over your inside of your church. I don't have to put up with this. And we know that if we're going to have a doctrine of behavior, we're not going to be including Jesus Christ's wacky idea that we love people. He says, aren't you just like the tax collectors when you do that? But that's one of the ways we hide it, right? We like each other, right? In the small church, know each other, like each other. 
we can, you know, have dinners together, or potlucks, or cookouts, or whatever, and we we can chat with each other after church. Nobody is really offended with each other. We hope, and that takes off some of the edge, doesn't it? It says, you know, I'm a loving person, really. Look at, I mean, look, I really enjoy being, and it may be love. I'm not denying that it's love. But the tax collectors could do that. The Gentiles can do that. You go down to John's Alley next Friday night. Just watch how friendly everybody is to everyone else. Jolly, laughing, buying each other beers. The Gentiles can do this. But we start to retool what the Lord said into a different piety than what the Lord said. And that's what struck me as I was looking at this passage, just on the page, that last bit about loving your enemies, and then the next first verse of 6, chapter 6, Beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen by them. You had just been given a dump truck load of piety called love your enemies. Not just love your neighbor. You were fine. Matter of fact, you were a little stretched thin when it was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, well, man, I don't know. And then the Lord comes on. I know you're not done with that, but before you put your pen down and stop writing notes, love your enemies. Because the world, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pretty sneaky. No one noticed. That's what we do. We, we, we think, okay, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. If I move into a nice neighborhood, that's great. Makes it a lot easier to do this thing. I can have God nicely defined so that he exactly what I would want to love. Matter of fact, he looks a lot like me. And my neighbors, because they match my socioeconomic situation, they have kids about the same age, so we can really get along. It's this one. Child has no parents. <laughs> oh, hold it. <laughs> Aren't you grateful now that it's not a liturgical church? <laughs> I imagine the other one went to the bathroom and will be coming later. Lewis will march across. Oh, Lewis came off the right way. Good job, Lewis. <laughs> We don't like to hear this level of piety. So, we've more devoted, rather than figuring out how to be pious the way the Lord asked us to be, he, he dumps this huge load of ethics on your lap. And we find ways of hiding it, or hiding the truth of it, and doing something else that would tell ourselves, we could tell ourselves and our Christian friends, we're doing it. Part of it is we're already loving our friends. I'm a loving person. I really love my kids. I love bunnies. So cute. Anything that rewards me, I love just fine. And I surround myself with things that reward me. But the elements that Christ speaks of here in chapter 6, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The end of verse 1 there. 
if you practice your piety before men in order to be seen by them. So what do we do? How do we hide this? I'm a very suspicious person. Mostly because I live with me. And my, and my life with me is filled with uh, crisis, existential crisis upstairs, calling all parents. My, uh, there are ways of having piety made public. If there's anything, there's nothing wrong with piety publicly known. If someone, they knew that Jesus Christ was righteous, that's not a problem. But if I practice my piety in order to be made public, it is a problem. If I beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen, and I don't care what you call it, a good testimony, people who say, well, let's say thank God here in the middle of, of uh, Applebee's uh, for our food because it'd be a good testimony. No, it's praying to be seen by men. We have ways of hiding from ourselves. Because none of us say, like later on in the passage, I'm going to get a trumpeter and go before me before the offering is taken at church. He's going to blow the trumpet. He's going to announce. Evan Wilson is now giving money. How could we do such a thing? But what do we, what do, we do? Thus, when you give alms, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by men. That's where you ought to be suspicious of yourself, where you want to have the things that you feel you're called upon to do. Love, be generous. This is a discovery of where you think your religion lies. If your religion is an earthly thing, you need to have your PR agent constantly announcing somehow that everyone knows that you're a giving person. Everyone knows that you're a loving person. We uh, are subtle about it. It's not always the trumpet. Sometimes it's getting into a discussion with other solid concerned Christians about the nature of helping the homeless. Because then you get to tell a few stories. Well, once when I was in Seattle, I, you know, I, I, I only had $20 on myself, so I gave him the $20. And there, later on, you let it slip. Oh my gosh, you let it slip that you gave money. Ta-da! Trumpet fanfare. Because you want it to get out. You really want your piety to be known by men. We have gotten to the point, now again, I'm not going to judge all the hearts involved in a situation, but I hate it that t-shirts are given to people for going to do a good work. We're going to help poor Mrs. Jensen paint her house. And Avista paid to have shirts made so that their carpet logo would be on the bottom. And it says, All Souls Christian Church Painting Crew for Jesus. And you get to wear that for about three or four years. He had one afternoon sweating in the sun, painting a house. But you get all the benefit of that sign being up all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, this whole thing, you know. 
boy, sure is a shame that Avista wants its name on something like that. I could want credit or something. But, uh, not me, I really was, I, my heart was really in it. I bet it was. It's not that a public thing can't, can't be good. It's that a private thing is how you're sure. That's it. It says beware of practicing your piety to be seen by men. This is where hypocrites live. This is where the centrality of your faith, what you believe is the reward for your faith, where do you think it comes from, who do you have to appeal to, what do you have to, hoops you have to jump through, so you get the check mark. Could we get in your average American evangelical church all the credits of a loving person if they're very involved, if you volunteered to teach a, uh, uh, a Sunday school class, especially if it was junior high? If you went out for a work cruise and... and uh, gave testimonies about you know, what you did on your short-term projects in Guatemala. Remember, they have received their reward. That's the shame of it. When we design a piety that are all based on Christian words, these are all, you know, love and alms and, and what's the next thing? Praying and forgiving and fasting. All of those things are very religious and Christian things. It's just a question whether it's the religion of Jesus Christ or it's the religion of us in our world. But we have to please one another, not please our God. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I, I'm not sure that Jesus Christ thought that your right hand knew anything, and your left hand was kind of suspicious. It does. It's, it's just a, a way of speaking, like you're going to do a sleight of hand when you're walking by the alms box of some poor beggar out there, and that $20 is just going to drop out of your hand, unseen by him and unseen by you. You're going to give it. Because secrecy, everything about the secret, it limits it to you and your God. And that's what you need to know. So that your alms may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's not that we don't want to be rewarded. I want to be a faithful, pious Christian not a faithful, pious churchman. Because a faithful, pious churchman knows where he's got to go for his reward. He's got to go to the church. He's got to go to the standards, whatever they are. And knowing that secrecy is a method of knowing is something you should try out. I mentioned on the side that we surround ourselves first off. The, the, the primary thing, that other than there's the prayer and the giving and the, and the fasting and stuff, I, less and less about that. I wanted to start in chapter 5 on loving your enemies because that's sort of the central power point of a, of a Christian life, that Jesus Christ loved sinners while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We need to be able to face the unbeliever and the person who hates us and love them. 
And we don't want to try to practice a piety that dresses something else up as piety and offers it to a reputation. Really, they didn't deserve to be treated any better than I treated them. I gave my best. And I really tried to give in a way that, and, and we have all sorts of stories. And first off, we don't just retool, we, we love easily the people we like. And again, I recommend it. It's human, it's nice, it ain't Christianity. Then, we love those that are unrewarding. You know, uh, the downtrodden, the homeless, the people who struggle with their mental uh, uh, acuity. We help out the person that can't pay us back, but we say, no, don't you worry. Don't you worry, I'll find a way of getting paid back. That's where the t-shirts come in. You don't really, you know, if you have me, because you really like me, over for dinner or something, I, I, I'm not going to give you a t-shirt. I could have them made. It'll be the nice to Evan crowd. And maybe there'd be a, like a checkbox with one cigar, two cigars, three cigars, something like that. And I would, after my visit, I would put a check mark in the correct box. And you could wear that t-shirt for years. We arrange rewards. We, when something is not rewarding to us, we say, okay, how are we going to get everybody out for this? And once we've got that done, when we love our friends and love people like us and we get rewarded for the ones that are just awkward to help, awkward to be nice to, we can feel free to shun our enemies. Because that's just what they deserve. They're bad people. And nobody, nobody seems to... Well, it, it would be American for me to hate my enemies. It is a kind of American. It's kind of every nation hate your enemies. You love your enemies. You do good to them who persecute you. Because that's what Christians do. So if I'm doing anything less, I've got something arranged that has piety displayed in a way that's easy and comfortable and rewarding in its place. So I can say no to Jesus Christ. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Sense, sense a theme? Do you sense a theme? That Jesus wants you to do things with only him seeing secretly. You won't know what you're doing with public piety. And again, I don't think that every publicly pious act is bad. You just don't know if it's good. You want to have lived a privately pious life before your God. This is all about who you are in the trenches. Because it's telling you, practically, for you to go, it's not to all of us go into a closet. This is not a closet. It's you go into a closet. You secretly give. You secretly pray. Because then, if you know you do, 
you're confident that if it ever comes out or you do something that's necessarily public, you know you're not, you're not buying something for that. Certain things are really true in you and they happen to become public. Great. But watch out if you practice it in order to be seen. Now, what's interesting here is what you watch, watch hit the history of Christianity, do something to you. Reading through the text, but go to your closet, pray, Father seeing in secret, pray. Um, and in praying, do not heap up empty phrases of the Gentiles. Do, oh, this is another good piece of advice. You know, pray privately. Go to your prayer closet and, and uh, pray privately and pray concisely. Get to the point. Draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Yeah, I get complimented all the time. I pray over the meals publicly at home. And uh, people say, I, I like the way you pray. I say, hey, thank God for the food. Amen. Thank get to the point. Do not be like them, verse 8. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then Christendom clears its throat and says, <clears throat> I'll take it from here, Jesus. Let us all recite together, down through history as loud as we can, the Lord's Prayer. And you could probably do it right now. If I started going, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now you know it. Only difference might be whether you're a debtors or a trespassers. Or at the end, whether or not, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, ever. Amen. We have some denominational distinctions, but Christianity just elbowed Jesus Christ aside. He said, what did he say? Pray in a closet. Don't heap up empty phrases. And what do we say? Excuse me, Lord, we've got to empty all these phrases of anything they would carry by making it the most public thing done in Christianity together. Probably more than anything else. The Our Father. It's Bible. What would be wrong with the church saying it? Well, Jesus told you in three sentences prior to not do that. That's all. I mean, I just don't want to get in between you and your religion. But Jesus Christ said something else. You've got to check. You have got to take this prayer this prayer, take it to your closet. You all know it. Who am I going to pray up in my closet? This. Because you know, it stops being an empty prayer in your closet. Because you're either insane, talking to the coats, or you're talking to God about his kingdom come, and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, the commitments you make when you make them privately, when you really say them. Say you fell in love with a girl. I'm not much of a romantic, but you're walking out in the woods with yourself, just yourself. And you sort of go, you know, I think I, I think I love that girl. Now, if you said that with only the bunnies and the trees to hear you, you would probably be pretty compelled to believe yourself. 
Because you don't say things to yourself. You're used to lying in every bit of advertising you put out about yourself. But saying it privately drags you into a crisis. That's what these words are. They're a crisis. They're a crisis which you say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who are our debtors. Yeah, you did that and that. Well, no, I didn't. I'm hearing a story recently about somebody who made confession to somebody about something and the other Christian said, I don't know if I've forgiven you yet. You want to use the B word. Who, who do you think you are? You don't think you have forgiven them yet. Is there anybody you have not forgiven? I mean, is there anyone in your life, I don't care if it's your parents, I don't care if it is your spouse, your children, your co-workers, I don't care who it is. If there's somebody you have not forgiven, on your knees, in your closet, you are saying, Lord, forgive me, just like I have forgiven. And suddenly, the crisis is on you. I am asking to be treated exactly how I have treated. Lord, give me the grace I've given. Now, we'd like a lot more grace than what I've given. Because in verse 14 it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't know if he can be clearer. And this is Jesus, and you know the answer is always Jesus. He says things, and he means them, and he is the Lord of all. He is the judge at the end, and he, you're going to stand before him trying to explain why you didn't think it applied to you this time. Because you wanted to be forgiven. And you think, matter of fact, you were almost owed forgiveness because Christianity is about grace, isn't it? When you want to be forgiven, you want to be forgiven. But when you're going to forgive somebody, you'd sure hate to have your forgiveness meted it out to you like you meted it out to others. That's why this has to be real, personal, independent, secret piety. Because you want to be sure that it's secret, from its secrecy, that it's real. That's sort of the, the odd thing about this. That there is a... a secrecy. You, you know... You know, it sort of announces what is real to you, and the privacy hides it. I mean, not the privacy, the, the publicity hides your motives. The more you know about what you're doing, the less you know what you're doing. Carry it on privately before your God, the more you will know what you're going to keep it secret, it becomes known. Make it public, it becomes unknown. We serve the religion we believe in, and that's tragic because so much of Christianity has become an earthly religion that we serve in earthly religious ways. And when you fast, verse 16, do not look dismal like the hypocrite. 
for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by men. And what are you saying, Evan? I mean, if you go so far as to fast, okay, and I think some of you probably have. I'm grateful that I don't know whom. But one of the biggest temptations, why fast if nobody knows about it? Really? I mean, if no one knows I gave up TV for a month, or McDonald's, it's got to, it's got to get into the conversation somehow. I've got to work it in the conversation. I know, I'll put a smudge of you know, ash on my forehead so people will ask. I'll put a target, walk around, hoping that people go, what did you give up for Lent? Oh, nothing, just McDonald's. Oh, you're so godly. And it would be godly if I gave up McDonald's. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Do you want this religion called Christianity to be the, not only who you appeal to for your rewards, but then when you get them, you're gratified and satisfied and that's enough? Is that what you want? This Christianity, Christendom, dishing this out with, with committees and books of church order that tell you what you get and how you win the prize? That your fasting may be seen by men may not be seen by men, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash the ash off your dang face, that your fasting may not be seen by men. We have, we have walked through this passage and, and said, excuse me, Jesus, I'm going to, we're like that cat sitting on the counter and there's a glass of milk sitting there, the cat's looking at you. That's what, that's what, that's what we're like. Here's some out of the mouth. Sure. Lord's Prayer. I could take that to pieces. Down goes the Lord's Prayer. And, oh, fasting. Oh, no, it's a tradition in our church that we tell everybody. And it's gone on for so long. We have sinned for so long. We're used to it. Want some ash? But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret. You have got to find out whether this Christianity, and you know I'm you know, an Anabaptist about these things, and I, you know that I say it is about you and the Lord, and your ideas make your life. And you will give an account someday for you, and not for me, and not for us, but for you. It's a independent, it, you are individually members of one another, but individually so. You would all need to become godly individuals so that the membership of the church will be a godly expression. But once we set it up to be the corporate thing first, we have a bunch of people play acting and being pretentious and the like, and Christianity is not created. We need people who have a secret God and their relationship with him is their secret thing. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. So think of this in terms of the piety and where you think the piety's reward is going to be. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Key phrase here, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you want out of this? All of us have played the game of what would I do if I won the lottery. All of us have played the game, what would I do if I became famous? For whatever, your good looks, your writing, your musical ability, whatever it is. And some people treasure it. Now what's interesting to me as I looked at that, is what we're asking of the believer is to examine or consider whether Christ is right. And we stop being that cat on the counter, knocking the Lord's words off of it. We go back and say, you know, I treasure my God. My Christ is, is everything to me. I have to admit that he's correct. I mean, he really is right, and I am not. That's a big to-do. And we don't often see how often in testimony... There was a book back in the 60s called uh, Games Christians Play, and uh, one was uh, about praying gossip. Let's please all pray for poor Mrs. Jensen, who... And I have to fill you in on the story of what Mrs. Jensen has been up to so that our prayers will be in front. We have ways of just violating every sanctity Christ laid out in front of us uh, with very religious, religious uh, labeling. We have to know we're up to this. We have to know he is right. We need to treasure where he is because look at what happens. There will your heart be also. Right? And because, I don't know if we were moderns or we just idiots, public piety, and this is confusing a young Christian who's trying to figure out, walks into a believing body of people and sees everyone serving things so publicly, and they talk, it's going, you know, they get to know these people, and they realize they're really actually doing it with a really, really committed heart. And we suddenly go, okay, we can knock the glass off the counter now because as long as you do it with all your heart. It tells you where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You bet people are really devoted to the church and all that the church is doing for the downtrodden and the helpless and so forth. I mean, really, with a full emotional commitment because they are that deep a hypocrite. They are that deeply pretentious. They are that deeply not aware that their father sees in secret. And they need to know that their heart for the lost. Now, again, like I said, you could be a public Christian. It's going to come out in public. But you need to find out whether or not it, you're a private Christian. A secret Christian. One that has got a walk. I think I've told you before that my parents' Christianity made an influence on me precisely because it had nothing to do with the church we attended. We went to church, or as was said in our family, sometimes we went home. But there's a spirituality, a Christianity that is yours between you and your father who sees in secret. You need to know it. You need to know that it's there. You need to have had those existential crises of praying the Lord's Prayer, knowing full well who you're not forgiving right now. 
and who you depend on for your daily bread. What your view is of temptation, what your thoughts are of the kingdom of God coming and his will being done on earth. Privacy will help. Because you want your heart, your heart is going to be where your treasure is. Don't be fooled by a heart for hypocrisy. If it's religion on earth that we're serving, we'll serve the standards that the earth sets out so we can get the reward the earth sets out. The last verse is one that had come up in a conversation, last two verses, 22 and 23. I want you to think about this because, man, it lands on you, both feet, hobnail boots, and you kind of, that's how you want to end sermons, uh, I think. I learned that in seminary, which I didn't go to. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. Ah, makes perfectly good sense. If I can't see, I can't operate my body with confidence how I'm functioning in the space around me, the world can't walk confidently through the living room because I don't know what's there. I told you once that when Doug blinded himself under a sun lamp high school, uh, he had bandages across his eyes and I rearranged the furniture in the living room. I mean, he did. It was, uh, if YouTube and video had been available, it would have been great because he did an end over, which is funnier when you have big bandages on your face and I've drawn eyeballs on the bandages. There's a lot of hilarity in this, but, but it taught me a lesson spiritually. I am a bastard, and two, uh, it really matters whether you can see or not. To your whole body, your whole life. Now let's just say, the way your eye sees, and your whole life, as I was talking about Kenny yesterday, about two days ago, about, uh, about being at home in the universe. And... Uh, you want to have your world, raising your kids, functioning in your job, living in your town, going to your church. You, you want to be that person full of life, full of knowing what's going on and not injuring yourself because you're blind. So consequently, this examination of what you think of what the Lord said do you start making excuses? Do you start claiming ignorance? Do you keep thinking because the church does it and gave me a t-shirt, it's okay? Nothing wrong with having a t-shirt, even if a Vista paid for it. But watch your heart. Beware of practicing your piety. This is something that, if I don't get it right, the Lordship of Jesus Christ over me personally, where my closet is where I deal with those things and my secrecy is how I give and how I never let anyone, I fast and no one knows. Pretty, most of you say, heaven is pretty clear you do not fast. Yes, it is true. But if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Or I'd better not tell you. Because if I take on that darkness, if that last line, if then the light in you is darkness, 
if what, how I framed this up, how I approached the Sermon on the Mount, what I did with the definitions, how I excused the church, how I kept it public, so just all sorts of you know, susceptibilities of my own defensiveness and justifying intentions is darkness. What does it say? How great is the darkness? Don't expect it to be anything other than dark in your life. Yeah, you kept knocking that glass off the counter. You didn't do what the Lord said. Arrange it the way the Lord said. Let it be light in you. Put your treasure in Him so that your heart would be there as well. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. In your son's name, amen.